This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. I think the Labour announcement is a continuation of what they've signalled already. Plans to address the lack of health workers in New Zealand won't be enough, according to a Pacific doctor. Also, large-scale logging continues in PNG despite government opposition. And later... Once we have the payment solution, we then have other products and services that will be coming along, such as rideshare, food ordering. A new super app for the Pacific is being developed. In a month's time, New Zealanders go to the polls and leaders of both major parties, Labour and National, have been campaigning. But meanwhile, a Pacific Health professor says both Labour and National's plans to address the chronic health worker shortage doesn't go far enough. Both parties have pledged to increase the workforce if elected. An extra 95 doctors under Labour and 50 under National. Auckland University Medical School Pacific Associate Dean Colin Tukuitonga told Lydia Lewis the plans only make a small dent in a gaping hole. Both announcements are welcomed. Uh, I think the country has been crying out uh, for some years now with regard to the shortage of doctors and nurses. And so these are, are, are very good announcements. I should say that, in fact, Labour announced uh, 50 new uh, additional places as of uh, 2024. 30 of which will come to us in Auckland and 22 Otago. We've prioritised Māori, Pacific and rural students. Uh, and, and the addition, and the 95 you mentioned, uh, I think goes on for three years. Uh, and so it, it's a significant uh, increase. Um, I don't know what the allocation from national is like in terms of uh, the distribution. But uh, concerned, of course, that uh, the ACT Party, if they're in coalition with the National Party, has signaled their intention to do away with affirmative action policies like uh, what we have at MAPIS uh, in Auckland. So the announcements are to be welcomed. Uh, clearly, the details are different. I think the Labour announcement is a continuation of what they've signalled already. What exactly is ACT going to do away with and what impact will that have? Well, ACT has signalled their intention to do away with ethnic-based uh, uh, programme. My understanding is that ACT is against any ethnic-based affirmative action type uh, activities. We're yet to see, of course, how that will pan out. But if that were to happen, it it, it is a concern from uh, uh, my point of view because obviously we need affirmative actions to try to remedy the chronic uh, inequities and shortage of Māori and Pacific Health professionals in New Zealand. Of the announcements from both Labour and National, do they go far enough to address those needs? Oh, no, they don't. I mean, uh, the Pacific uh, share of the 15,000-odd thousand medical workforce in New Zealand is less than 2%, so this will lift it, no question. But if you think about the share of the population, you... you the Pacific uh, proportion of the workforce, uh, if it was to address the 
diversity in our population should be 10%, and we're still only at 2%. But as I say, it is a step uh, forwards, but we're a long way away from what's uh, equitable and what's needed in terms of the population share. What could National or Labor do to further address those issues? The announcement was specifically around workforce, and it is uh, one of the critical issues for our health system. In terms of the broader health policies, I'm not aware of any. There's some concern in the health uh, uh, media about national wanting to reduce uh, uh, health funding to frontline services. People are always concerned, of course, about the market-orientated ideology that the National Party tend to have and privatising health care. And so um, I guess there will be those ongoing uh, concerns. I'm not aware of any of Labour's uh, broader announcements with regard to health and funding for health care providers. What would you like to know? What information is lacking from both parties? The community and healthcare providers would want to know what uh, parties intend to do, uh, particularly in relation to primary care, access to GP uh, services uh, and other services. That's the fundamental issue. People are concerned that uh, they're having trouble getting access to GPs, uh, shortage of GPs uh, means uh, clinics are closing their books. So that's a a primary concern. What do the parties plan to do with regard to access to primary care? Mental health and well-being is a a chronic concern. I understand that uh, Labor's announcements uh, include additional places for psychiatry uh, training. I am not aware of any other announcements uh, from the uh, National Party with regard to access to care. I think the um, um, the fact that uh, senior doctors have gone on strike tells me that our health system is indeed under severe strain, and I would like to see uh, 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 parties, political parties, uh, make statements about how they intend to relieve the pressure on uh, doctors and access to health care and generally increasing investment in our health system, which appears to be struggling. How would you sum up the action or lack of action on this issue from both sides so far? Well, clearly something needs to happen. I would like to see a a direct response uh, from political parties in relation to the senior doctors on strike. I'm aware that uh, there will still be policies that are perhaps yet to be announced. But I'd like to see a direct response from the political parties with regard to how they intend to address the concerns shown by the senior doctors. This is a significant uh, development in healthcare in New Zealand. I'm not aware of senior doctors going on strike uh, ever. Uh, And so there needs to be a response. What do the political parties intend to do to relieve the pressure on senior doctors, relieve pressure on emergency departments, improve access and funding uh, for primary care and address the chronic uh, 
uh, strain that uh, health professionals are under. A Papua New Guinea advocacy group, Act Now, and Jubilee Australia says forest clearance authorities granted in PNG are being abused. The FCAs allow limited clearance of forest for agricultural or other land use, but the environmental groups say foreign logging companies are using them as backdoor access to PNG's pristine tropical rainforest. Act Now, Eddie Tanago told Don Wiseman about what they found in a case study into the Wami Rural Development Project, which is the result of an FCA held by Malaysian logging company, Global Elite Limited. The Forest Clearing Authority, or we call it as uh, in, in initials by way of FCA, is one of the licenses that are used uh, for agriculture. But what we have realized is that these FCAs have been unlawfully used to facilitate large-scale logging operations by foreign-owned logging companies. And this is being found out in a collaborative research done by Jubilee Australian and ECNOW. In this particular case study, we've looked at this particular project called the WAMI Logging Operation, the WAMI FCA, where this Malaysian company has used an FCA, which is intended to allow for land clearing for agriculture or any other land use. Instead, it used it as a front, and we've seen uh, hundreds of thousands of cubic meters of round logs being exported. Now, this particular operation has been going on for almost 10 years, and this company has sold out more than 31 million US dollars worth of round logs. And they got hold of this land by making a commitment to establish an agricultural project. Yes, because an FCA is intended for that. You either do a, a particular clearing or small clearing for agriculture or other land use. And instead, in the last 10 years, they've harvested more than 31 million US dollars worth of logs, round logs, which were exported. And no promised palm oil or rubber plantation has ever been planted on the land. Is there any sign that that is going to happen at some point? Well, we've gone past it because there's supposed to be a plan that says that, okay, we clear a certain area of land. We clear it, we plant the, the promised palm oil or, or rubber plantation. And then once that's done, the plants have reached up to a certain stage and then they move to the next. As it is now, it's past 10 years and it's just only logging that's happening. Not only that, but we have a satellite imagery that shows that there's been extensive clearing without any planting of any agricultural crops. Did they knock everything down or are they just taking selected trees? Yes. It's just clearing. It's just clearing at the moment that's happening. It's worse than what it's supposed to be. This land, it's in a destructive state. It is. It it is at the moment. Also, this particular FCA as well was subject to the SABL Commission of Inquiry in 2013. And it was evident in the findings of the commission that, you know, people's free prior informed consent was never given. Also, there was this compelling evidence of non-compliance with the processes that are required under the laws for the granting of an SABL or an FCA. So they're on the land illegally anyway. It is. That's what it seems, given the nature of his operations and the findings that we've gathered so far. This is just one of a number like this across the country. How many do you yes. think of these uh, rorts are going on right now? Currently, apart from the WAMI project, in total, there are about 24 active ones that are currently under this particular license or particular forest clearing authority. And huge numbers have been exported out at the moment. When we put all those together, um, together, this actively exporting FCAs covering every area of about 61,800 hectares of forest. And that's equivalent 
extend to about 11,000 football fields. Yeah. So that's that's really, really massive. That's really, really massive. So what should happen, Eddie? We are calling on the Forest Board and the PNG Forest Authority to extend the current moratorium on the new FCAs. There was one that was announced in the beginning of this year that says that they were not going to issue any new FCAs. Okay, we want that to extend. We want login in all these existing FCAs to be also suspended. And there should be a comprehensive public review of these projects. Now, we also have the current government's commitment to ending round log exports. And just recently this year, the Marape government has launched the medium-term development for, and it also caters for the promises to end round log export by 2025. Now, SP, our analysis into this particular MTDP plan or medium-term development plan for, and then looking at the current export rate that's happening, the export log export volumes now are currently very high. And the PNG Forest Authority is really failing to meet the reduction targets as set down in the medium term plan. This is in breach of the targets that are set out by the government, plus also the promises that we've seen, like the recent one being made by Prime Minister Marape when the French president was around, is that Papua New Guinea was, should be looking at preserving the rainforest and reducing deforestation. It's not happening the way how it's been preached at the moment. So there should be really a serious look at into practically trying to reduce the export volume which the MTDP4 is looking at, but in practice, it's not happening the way it's supposed to be. Attempts by RNZ Pacific to get any response from Global Elite Limited have been unsuccessful. A new super app is being developed in the Pacific that will allow people to make instant money transactions, including for remittances. Called Smarty, that app also plans to have a rideshare and cryptocurrency feature. The founder and CEO, Brett Bordenay, who is planning on launching in the Cook Islands in a few months, speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. So Smarty is uh, what we call a super app, right? So everyone's obviously familiar with apps. So what this is, is a super app essentially is powered by a payment solution, kind of digital wallet system. And that is the backbone of what we have. And based off of that, we can have multiple products or as such mini apps, right, within the single application, which then makes it a super app. So once we have the payment solution, we then have other products and services that will be coming along, such as rideshare, food ordering, cryptocurrencies, marketplaces, et cetera, et cetera. So we will continue to add products on that we see that the locals, as well as the tourists that are uh, visiting our Pacific Islands, will need and uh, can easily pay for all of those services as well. So the backbone is this payment system. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is obviously you have a digital wallet within your Smarty account and you can add funds to that. You can also load up your card into the account so you can utilize that as well. And then from there, you can go around and do shopping and spending and then also utilize all the other mini apps, so to say, within the app, our products as well. So yeah, you'll be able to pretty much do everything uh, in your daily spending. And I mean, a, a big thing where this came up so uh, my business partner Jimmy Glassy is actually from 35 years in the banking industry in short when I showed him what we were doing he knew straight away that this was going to be obviously a very popular product that's going to be used across the Pacific because we've had this challenge for years it goes back to 2008 when I built the first e-commerce website in the South Pacific I'm sorry in, in the Cook Islands I should say back then the only payment solution we had was PayPal 
And now you fast forward 15 years later, and guess what? The only payment solution we really have that's quick and easy to implement is PayPal. So nothing much has changed, and the issue with that is PayPal requires that you have to have a a business registered in New Zealand and a bank account. That's the only way they can pay out the funds. There is no solution within the Pacific Islands. So everyone's kind of had the challenge of not being able to easily pay each other very quickly and instantly. Obviously, now everyone's got a phone in their hand. So not being able to utilize that technology we already hold and as well as to be able to take online payments as well. It's always been a big challenge and an issue that not just the locals and businesses have, but it's also the tourists that come through and not able to easily make payments for products or book ahead of time. And now we're trying to provide that solution that will will resolve all of those issues. What Smarty is trying to achieve, has this been done in different markets around the world? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not yeah, we're not reinventing the wheel. The super app concept is very big overseas, not even in New Zealand, Australia yet, but it is in the Southeast Asian countries. So the big ones out there are Grab and Gojek, which are very very massive across Singapore, Vietnam, Indonesia, etc. Uh, and then in Europe, you've got the likes of Revolut, N26, Monzo. So they're they're a massive super app products that are out there that are in sort of the financial tech space. And we're trying to bring those concepts here, but we have to custom build them because obviously we're lacking in infrastructure here with internet services specifically. We're kind of customizing it to fit with our market. And it's been two and a half years we've been developing it, so it's been a long time. And now we're pretty much right at the finish line, about to, to launch it to market soon. When do you think you'll launch it? We always get asked this, and I hate answering because in the tech space, there's always moving parts. But in the coming months is what we're planning to get it out to market. For, for us, especially in fintech, you, you don't necessarily have to have a license as such, right? People also ask us, like, are you a bank? We're not actually a bank. That's the beauty of what we're doing. A, a fintech is just a financial service provider. So it's sort of similar in New Zealand. You don't have to have a banking license as such because we're not giving loans. We're not offering the interest that's when you do have to go down that, that avenue. And that's where there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of red tape, right? So the idea for us is we're trying to provide a financial solution that it's quick and easy to sign up. You literally can do it on your phone within two minutes and then you're off and away and you can start shopping and spending everywhere you go. It's, it's been a long road to get to where we are, but we're very close now to, to launching. Thousands of young people have been performing at Otago Polyfest this week, marking 30 years of celebrating Māori and Pacific culture. More than 140 early childhood centres and schools, from toddlers to teens, are taking part in this year's festival in Dunedin, featuring kapahaka and pacifica performances. Alicia Foon has the story. An audience full of family and friends beaming with Polyfest pride. Otago Polyfest is one of the oldest festivals in Aotearoa, promoting indigenous culture, language and arts across the Pacific. More than 4,500 rangatahi are taking part, the youngest just three years old. Performances range from kapahaka to song and dance from Fiji, Cook Islands, Niue, Samoa and Solomon Islands. Festival director Tanya Moangatutia says the 30th anniversary is about recognising Indigenous legacy in the South Island. 
our Pacifica families that came here from the 1940s, you know, the generation of our parents are now passing away. This festival honours the generations by the families that are here that have come through the festival as babies performing, volunteering, now working, now leading the part of the team now. It's incredible that it's 30 years. Pesamino Tili is a prime example. He's been to almost every Otago Polyfest since it first began in 1993, when it was only a half-day event. Yeah, I have been around for a long time. It's funny because uh, one of the kids asked me, "Is your so are you Polyfest?" Because I saw the name on my T-shirt. <laughs> I said, "Have you been here for 30 years?" I said, "Well, I've, almost." <laughs> Mr. Tilly's role has changed over the years. First performing and now leading team performances, as well as stage managing for the week-long event. He says Polyfest helped him embrace being Samoan during a time when speaking the language in New Zealand was frowned upon. Particularly for us uh, early migrants, because I was originally born in Samoa, one of the things that we really struggled with was actually being included, and this helps us to be included. After St Joseph's Catholic School gave their performance, some of them shared why they loved taking part. Do you get to express your culture and your beliefs and stuff? It's exciting because it's just showing how you like do your dances back in the islands. I like performing because you can just express your emotions and your feelings and your culture, really. Volunteer teacher Melissa Chanmel says there's been a lot of hard work in the lead-up. We have 23 students. We've been practising for 20 weeks, so that's um, over two terms. We've woken up at 8am on Wednesday mornings to practice, so during the winter, the harshest time in Dunedin as well. It's been a lot of work, been a lot of practice and a lot of perseverance. Mum Laurie Tuiavi'i Maxwell couldn't be more proud of her daughter Freya, performing with St Joseph's Catholic School. I'm going to get emotional thinking about it because... um, um, it just means a lot to see her getting involved in her culture and, and expressing herself that way. It's just a beautiful thing. I came from Porirua in Wellington where there's lots of Pacific culture around but it's not as present here so it's beautiful seeing all the different schools celebrating. Iconic Pacific musicians Arija wrap up the festival tonight to mark the final day of this year's Otago Polyfest. That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast week four.